0: Everyone. Welcome back to Takes by the Lake. This week I'm your host Cleveland.com. It's Doug Lee Maurice. I almost said my name was Cleveland.com. I'm not at that point yet. I feel like I've been writing a lot. I have not yet changed my name to Cleveland.com. Um, we're here for another podcast and it's also about the Browns. Again, as usual, after week one, digging in on what Happened against the Steelers and what it means for week two against the Saints. And we're going to try to ease your reactions a little bit. Two really good guests this week one new, one return guest on Takes by the Lake. First up is John Costco. He is an analyst from Pro Football Focus. He focuses a lot of his work on the Browns. Um, And we dug in on the numbers, on the pro football focused numbers, on how things went on Sunday in the tie against the Steelers. We dug in a lot on Tyrod Taylor. Uh, He had an interesting stat, for instance, that Tyrod Taylor had the most uncatchable balls in the league last year with 14. Not last year, last week. With 14. But Ben Roethlisberger had 10, and it was wet. So, um, there were a lot of uncatchable balls in that game, as you could see with your eyeballs, too. Um, But what does that mean? What does that mean for a dome game against the Saints? So, John's going to dig in on that with me. Uh, We dug in a little bit on Miles Garrett. We dug in a little bit on Denzel Ward. Mostly offense, though. Um, Desmond Harrison, but a lot of Tyrod Taylor. So, I think this is going to help you understand. Uh, tyrod taylor and what he did and didn't do on sunday then we go to the guy that i consider now our quarterback expert here on takes by the lake that's dan whalen um he's a guy who played the position was in camp with the browns one time um just you know knows more about playing quarterback than i do i did play uh uh quarterback in recess in fourth grade i'm left-handed i didn't play quarterback a lot So anyway, so Dan Whalen is here, and he's going to talk about Tyrod, how Hugh Jackson is handling Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, um, how this is all affecting Baker Mayfield, what he thought of Tyrod Taylor's game and what he wants to see on Sunday. So thanks, you guys, for listening to Takes by the Lake. Get subscribed on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a week. I did do a weird thing in the middle of this week. I dropped it in the Takes by the Lake feed. Usually we just drop a new podcast on Friday. I dropped a Dr. Seuss-like poem about Barker Mayfield and Ty Dog Taylor and a little story with a little moral about a place that wanted a dog and wound up with two dogs after having none and then wound up fighting about those two dogs. So that's you, Cleveland! So if you want to listen to a Dr. Seuss-type thing, I read it. It's like eight minutes. It's kind of long, longer than I thought it was. Probably too long for a a Dr. Seuss-like dog story about Browns quarterbacks. But this is a normal podcast. We do it every Friday, almost without exception, for the last couple months. Every Friday. um, Also listen to our other podcast, Orange and Brown Talk, with uh, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Really good on the Browns. Um, Chris Fedor, Joe Varden on the Cavs, Joe Noga, Paul Hoynes on the Indians. And of course me and Bill Landis on Buckeye talk big game. I'll be in Texas this weekend for Ohio state TCU on Saturday night, not going to new Orleans Am going to Arlington, Texas for the Buckeyes and the horned frog. So let's get rolling. We'll get rolling with John Costco and Dan Whalen again, breaking this down. Uh, I thought it was a good tie. You know what? I'm uh, I don't, I don't think you can look at one in 31 And then be like, "Uh, a tie. It's a tie. Woo, tie. I thought Hugh could have, could have, I get it. You want to win. You're disappointed. But I I just thought Hugh could have spun that a little more. I mean, Miles Garrett brought you back from the dead, man. You were dead. People left. I was there. People left. I would have left. People left. And then the Browns got half a win out of nowhere. And I know it could have been better. There was some screwy stuff at the end, but... I thought that was a pretty good tie as far as ties go. So we're going to talk about this tie, this Baker. Thanks to Lisa, uh, to you guys for listening. And let's get right to it with John Costco on Takes by the Lake. All right, we're joined by John Costco here on Takes by the Lake, and man, he's got some stuff for us today, baby. We're going to dig in uh, on Tyrod Taylor a lot, but we're also going to going to talk about how a lot of other guys in the Browns played in Week One. But but John, I think I think one thing off the top is is just people all week have been trying to figure out, like, was Tyrod any good? Like, did he, did he help keep the Browns from winning? Or the fact that he only threw the one interception at the end, and that wasn't great, while Pittsburgh turned it over six times, did he help keep the Browns in it? So we know weather's a factor. We know he was only 15 of 40 passing. But from, from the way you guys chart things, and, and, and I know you looked at every throw he made very much in detail was he on or was he off or was he inconsistent just in terms of throwing the ball his ball placement and giving guys a chance to make a catch he was
1: off and, and it was not a, it was i think it was a weather factor because they were uh, you know what we do is we track you know the specific ball location of these and you know obviously there's going to be inaccurate throws that are just completely uncatchable and he had the most uncatchable passes of the weekend with 14. And then this, the next closest was Ben Roethlisberger with 10. So clearly the weather was a factor in, in being able to accurately throw the ball. Though Ben, you know, didn't, you know, made up with it with some more big-time throws that he was able to make. Tyrod wasn't able to offset that other outside of the, the one throw to Rashard Higgins, which was a big-time throw. Yep, uh, And obviously that led to, you know, a, a touchdown drive. So um, did he help the Browns? not lose the game I would say he, he prevented them from waiting okay. um, and you can say that he probably played it's bad enough to lose the game and that the Browns defense is what essentially allowed them to tie and even so that variance that the Browns defense was able to create so many turnovers um, you can't really expect that moving forward because it's it's not a stable metric at all to just be able to force turnovers and, and go plus five in a turnover battle. They right. still gave up 400-plus yards of total offense. So it's not like they played lights out outside of the, the times that they did turn the ball over. So yeah. Yeah, Tyrod prevented them, I would say, from winning uh, and pretty much d- did lose in the game. You know, he threw that interception, which was a costly interception, which, you know, when they were basically in field goal position or pretty close to it, so it wasn't a good showing for him, and it really was probably the worst performance he's ever had of his career. So it's not something I would think that he will do moving forward for the Browns. So that, I would say, is a positive. I think this was more of an anomaly for him as opposed to what to expect moving
0: forward. And, and I think that's fair. I mean, listen, it was rainy. You know, stuff's rainy. I get it. Um, the one thing the, or not the one thing, the one, of, one of the many things— um, so in that situation, you know Ben Ben is going to make mistakes, but Ben's going Ben's going to make some plays, right? And to me, Tyrod's the guy that that isn't going to make mistakes, but also isn't going to make plays. So yeah, he didn't turn it over other than that pick, but he just it seemed like he missed so many opportunities. I thought even, and, and I just think this is interesting, and this is why charting a, a game like this is so different than just looking at the stats, but. He had that one throw to Jarvis Landry down the sideline that I called a back knee throw instead of a back shoulder throw because he had to stop and turn around and catch it down down at the lower part of his body. And then he had that 39-yard throw to Landry later on that was a big play when they needed it that I thought if he put the ball in a better spot, might have been a touchdown and then he followed that up the next play with the deep ball to Josh Gordon in the end zone that again a better ball I think you at least give Josh Gordon a shot but in terms of ball placement John even on some of his completions some of the few big completions that he had I thought he was off and maybe another quarterback it's like yeah 39 was great another quarterback might have gotten in the end zone there did you see that at all
1: Oh, absolutely! You know, you look at the, the even the completion to to Jarvis, which you're calling a back knee. Like in in our books, that's a, like that's never going to get caught. That's a that's a spectacular play by Landry, and we actually call that as an underthrown pass by him in terms of our ball location because that's not a. He, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time or so is it, that's not going to be caught. So you know, make a good play by Landry there. Also with that one down the sideline where he was he was wide open on the out and up that. Uh, Landry made a really nice route. He underthrew him again. It's not. We're not going to call that one underthrown. That was more uh, a catchable in you know inaccurate throw. So uh, it's just the ball placement in general from him was was not good. Um, you know any you know of the passes that he did throw that were like frame or or perfect accuracy. Uh, there are only there are only ten of them in the game and out of the out of the forty five he had. Obviously, I said the 14 that were completely uh, uncatchable. There were another nine that were, you know, that were, you know, catchable but in a bad location. Um, so it, it was a rough day for him just all over and throwing a ball, obviously, because of the, the weather. But, yeah, even even the ones that were completed and, and on, you know, quote-unquote, on target, they really weren't on – a lot of them weren't on target. He was pretty much split, you know, 50-50 between, uh, you know, a perfect throw or a good throw versus a bad location. So – it's it's I mean I I'll, I'll chalk that up to um to the weather more so than
0: anything. So I, I would expect in a in a dome situation it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, I mean it really is. I think people are so so eager to to get a chance to um, see him this week to see, like you said, if it was an anomaly, right? To see, okay, it was it literally the worst game of his career in bad weather, and now he's going to show us what he can really do. Uh, But but part of that, and and this is another thing that stuck out to a lot of people, and I don't know how this factors into your charting, but if you're looking at the All-22 film, I'm assuming you saw it, were there also opportunities where he didn't throw it? where he maybe had a receiver behind defenders there seemed to be at least one in the middle of the field um were there times and, and is that something is that something you guys chart like the like opportunities lost which that is something that I think is going to carry over with him that he's not going to try things that other people probably Baker Mayfield included would try and so then it goes it's either a run or a, he checks it down or something like that and it goes in the books as something else but yet there's a throw he didn't even attempt that was there for the taking. Did you see that at times Sunday?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There were, uh, you know, we chart uh, what we call as rhythm of the passer. And if he's passing up open reads, we'll call it like he took himself out of rhythm, essentially. Um, and there were there were a number of those. I actually don't have that number specifically in front of me. But, um, you know, there are at least half a dozen times where there was an open receiver coming out of his break that, you know, in, in the normal timing of the throw, uh, the play, you have to hit that guy, and he wasn't doing that. He was, he was, you know, seeing ghosts before they were happening because of uh, he was under pressure a lot. But a lot of that was because um, you know he was obviously holding on to the ball, and then guys were getting beat late. So, like uh, as an example, you know, Desmond Harrison, we we charted with a bunch of pressures this weekend. A lot of them weren't like getting whipped by any means. It was late in the drop back that still within a time frame that he should be able to make the block, but it is just getting beat late, you know, subtly. Um, so, you know, there's, there's things that, by him holding on the ball, that's what he's always done his entire yeah. career, is hold on the ball for, you know, one of the longest in the NFL. Um, and, obviously, some, offset, he offsets that with his legs, because, you know, obviously in that drive, the touchdown run, um, some, you know, he had some first downs with his legs, that's the type of player you, the Browns got hold on the ball he's gonna you know make more plays with his legs um you know early in his career with buffalo he did have a lot more big time throws where he was he was stretching down the field he was he was hitting those um but in the past two seasons he kind of he's gone away from that okay um and he does he does pass up open open throws down the field so um Maybe it's something that he can grow out of, but it seems to be trending in the wrong direction from what his career started
0: off as. And that's the hard thing, I think, is as you're putting this roster together, and, and I'm not here. I, I am I am totally out on a quarterback controversy. Like I am not asking for, for Tyrod Taylor to be benched. Baker Mayfield is obviously the future. There are a million ways to get to Baker Mayfield. I do not think people should be completely wrapped up in this idea, um, but just in analyzing Tyrod Taylor, just realistically analyzing him. Part of the interesting thing to me is that, you know, Josh Gordon is this this magical receiver who fell from the sky again after being gone for so long, and Jarvis Landry is the guy they invested all this money in, um, and if you're not giving him a chance, then you're not you're not taking advantage of things that the Browns actually do well. Now, it does seem like Jarvis Landry in the end, might pair up well with Tyrod Taylor because Jarvis Landry made a lot of his money in Miami on shorter routes. But there's a big thing about Josh Gordon last week. I think he had three targets. He was on the field more than Hugh Jackson expected. Did you see Josh Gordon maybe being open and having opportunities and just in general, and maybe this is getting off the chart a little bit, just your thoughts on this, does it seem like Tyrod Taylor and Josh Gordon might be an odd pairing? Because we saw what happened when he gave Josh Gordon a chance at the end and Josh Gordon caught the game-tying touchdown. But we did not really see that the rest of the game. What Josh Gordon does well, that to me seems to not match up with Ty- with what Tyrod Taylor does well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they, they can develop the chemistry. Um, I'm, I'm not concerned about it yet because obviously with, with Gordon – you know, missing the majority of, of training camp mm-hmm. preseason.
1: They didn't they didn't have a chance to to kinda of get that feel. They obviously they worked together in, in, you know, OTAs and all, but um, I think I think that they keep, you know, Tyrod's never been a guy to, to target tight coverage very often. Um, and the way that they did utilize Josh was was just mostly downfield go routes post where he didn't have an opportunity to you know, they're trying to use his speed to try to get open as opposed to his route running, which his route running is, is very good. You know, I think it's an underrated aspect of this game. Um, so it'd be nice to see him, you know, getting utilized more and, and double moves slants, uh, you know, digs, you know, quick outs, stuff like that, where you can just get him the ball quickly. Um, but I, I think they can, I think they can develop. I'm not yet going to be concerned about it, but okay. in, you know, in terms of, in terms of what Tyrod is good at, uh, you know, you know, look at what he was able to do in Buffalo, the quick game, uh, was, was something that he was very good at. Um, and that was, you know, one thing that they didn't do in, the, in this past game was was run a lot of quick game. They only ran one quick game concept all game long. They had, you know, six, six or seven screen games that they did run. But, um, you know, look at, at Ben Roethlisberger. He ran, uh, they ran eight co- quick game concepts and eight screen games. So that was a lot of, you know, easy type throws that they were giving Roethlisberger. Tyrod didn't get that that luxury from a play calling standpoint huh. um they were doing they tried to do some boots but they only ran three boots and two of them were to start the game so um I, I think they just need to adjust what the game plan is and having more quick passing a lot more crossing it's it to me it almost seemed like they're running Hugh jackson's playbook as opposed to todd haley's how much vertical routes they're right
0: you can't say that people are gonna freak out if you're listening to this in your car. Don't drive off the road that John Costco just said they seem to be running Hugh Jackson's playbook instead of Todd Haley's playbook. That's not what the... John, why would they do that? Why would anybody do that, John? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. I I mean, you know, I don't know
1: what's going on inside the building. How much control Hugh Jackson has over the the plays that are called versus, you know, if it's 100% Todd Haley's playbook because it looked like kind of a mixture of both, right? So, like, there were... A number of screens, like I said, there, there's like six or seven screen games, which Todd Haley does utilize a lot. Uh, he did that a lot of times in, in Pittsburgh. But um, the vertical stuff, where you're just seeing you know four goes, or three goes, and uh, stuff that's completely deep downfield, that's definitely Hugh Jackson's playbook. So it, you know, I don't, I don't, know exactly you know what the dynamic is between the two and and how much of uh, Hugh Jackson's playbook Todd Haley adapted because. You know, Maybe the players are familiar with that and so that they're running that because that's what they've been doing for the past few years. But I don't know. I, it's, it, it seemed to me an odd game plan to run a lot of verticals, especially in, in that type of weather. <laughs> especially and in with the With rain. a quarterback that's not great at throwing You know, 20-plus yards down the field.
0: So other than it raining and it not being what the quarterback does well, the vertical routes made a ton of sense. Okay. Oh, John, you're giving me... oh, I'm getting flustered, man. Woo! Hugh Jackson playbook is a trigger word for me. I need to take a moment here. Let's talk about the offensive line, and I'm going to give you a little curveball first. Because I wrote about Chris Hubbard in the offseason, and I said to to me, he was the gauge of this team. Because he's the, the type of signing that is not a flashy signing, but it's an important signing. They brought him in. He had not been a consistent starter in Pittsburgh. He had played because of injury, and they brought him here and said, this is your job. And when teams like this, they have some big-time draft picks like Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett and Jabril Peppers and Baker Mayfield, and they have a couple you know, veteran guys who'd stuck around. But like a guy like Chris Hubbard, that has to work to me because we see what's happening with Desmond Harrison, and we knew Joe Thomas was going to be a difficult person to replace. But you can't have two tackles that you're worried about. so. How was Chris Hubbard at right tackle in week one? Because to me, he has to be an answer. If his position is a problem, then they're really in trouble. But if he just locks down that job and plays solid right tackle for 16 games, then that shows me that the Browns are a competent franchise that know, at least at times, how to go out and fill holes. How was Hubbard? He struggled in this game. Dang it! <laughs> but the thing is, it's one game. It's literally one game, and he did struggle against TJ Watt, who had a really good game. Um, but it's not like he gave up a ton of pressures.
1: What he's what he was happened was like on the on the quick the, the plays that were quicker, that the ball was out uh, in in good timing, he got beat on. So um, he only gave up a sack in two hurries, but he was also beat uh, an, an additional eight times in pass protection. So it's one game. I'm not, you know, last year you look at how he performed, he had one
0: really bad game and then the rest of the season, he was pretty solid. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and that's what he showed, you know, basically
1: in, uh, in Pittsburgh, through, you know, he pretty much played throughout his career, like a season's worth of games. Um, cause he's obviously a, a backup that kind of rotated
0: in, yeah. uh, at right tackle. Um, over a season's worth, he was—you considered him an
1: average right tackle. So if he can do that, play at an average level, which I believe he can. It's just, you know, it's a Todd Haley system that he's used to, and um, it was—it's literally one game. I'm not too concerned about it right now. He's—he's he's a guy that has shown in the past to
0: to play at an average level. I expect him to do that moving forward. Okay, let's get to Desmond Harrison. Everybody's wondering about that. Here's my view from the press box. Speed rushes, and and there are people on Twitter who I respect, uh, football analysts, who were saying this too. Speed rushes, he seemed to handle and kind of push the guy around the pocket a little bit. A bull rush, it seemed like he was moving backwards a lot. If you got your hands into him and pushed on him, he's not the world's biggest guy. He's under 300 pounds at left tackle. It seems like you could move him backwards and cause some problems with that. It also seemed like he was better in the second half than he was in the first half. What was the breakdown on Desmond Harrison?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I guess you know we've gotten a lot of kind of like heat from you know some of the O line Twitter over the past couple days on on Desmond Harrison's game. Um, we haven't charted as as giving up six pressures, and it's not like he was getting completely whipped. There was a there was a one play where he got tripped at the line of scrimmage by the defensive tackle that uh, you know allowed a pressure. You um, know that's not something we downgraded. We we take that into consideration where he didn't have an opportunity to get in a full pass set because he was he was tripped so
0: that that doesn't you know get charted as as, as a downgrade on our, our system that goes into um, stuff happens category right you have a stuff happens category and you give him a little check mark sometimes you get tripped yeah exactly you know we we. we Make that as a comment. You know, the guy that gets the pressure gets, you know, gets his due diligence for that. But it's not like he that guy beat anybody to get that pressure. So his
1: upgrade for getting a pressure is like very nominal. Okay. So, um, but the thing is, is that like he was giving up a lot of like smaller pressures. There was a bull rush that you know, Bud Dupree got in on him that also batted a pass down. Yep. Um, you know, he has to be able to hold up against that better, especially against a guy like Bud Dupree, who's not even not even really a, a power uh, no. rusher. I think he was just, uh, he was giving up too much ground, and it wasn't even a lot of just lack of play strength. It was tech, more technique. You know, okay. there was another pressure where he, uh, you know, Bud Dupree never even touched him until he had backed up eight yards directly into Tyron Taylor. Um and I, I wasn't not sure what he was doing there. And I think I think with more game experience, like when he's waiting for a rusher to come to him, he's gonna hold his ground and make him come around him, as opposed to continually to back up and invite that pressure. So there's just it's not even that he was getting beat bad. It was just a lot of small things that added up to a lot of pressures. And and even in his past protection grade, he was at an average level in terms of just the grade because it wasn't you know it wasn't you know big negatives for him. Okay, um, and and his run blocking, and then the the three penalties are what really killed his grade overall. So, as a pass protector, I, I liked what I saw in terms of when he got his hands on a guy and wasn't just playing with bad technique. But when he was, you know, you know, waiting for the guy to come to him, that was where the
0: problem was. Let me ask another offensive line question. I saw people again. There's a group of people on Twitter that I like to follow that that have interesting Browns discussions, guys from you know your group are, are in there. One of the things is the idea of uh, the offensive line having trouble sort of passing guys off and making sure that they're communicating on the offensive line and making sure that they're making sure everyone's picked up and that there aren't a couple offensive linemen on certain plays who wind up blocking nobody. Uh, I, I don't know how that's graded. Did you see anything there in terms of times when maybe they gave things up, not because um, – you know, not because people got beat, but just because they seemed to not be in sync, whether it was pass blocking or run blocking.
1: Yeah, they, they do seem to have a, an issue with that. And I think that was
0: Jake Burns that brought it up. Yes, about, yes. Um, about having having
1: issues passing off of stunts. And I've I've seen that exact same thing from the Browns offensive line over the past couple of years, where uh, it just doesn't seem like the communication is, is there to be able to do it. Um, it when it comes to passing off stunts, it depends on how, you know, the way we grade it depends on how the, uh, how it's set up, for one. So, like, if you, you know, if there's time for the, you know, say you got a, a, a tackle and stunt where, you um, know, tackle is is bull rushing on the, on the guard to get through to the, the offensive tackle and you got the end looping inside. Um, if if it's a legit, like a really good job by that, that end, uh, by the tackle that, that's you know, getting the penetration there. Um, you know, it depends on if they're doing a slide or man protection, what, how we're grading it. Um, sometimes sometimes it's, inev- it's unavoidable to allow that pressure because of how, uh, how good that penetrator does. Sometimes mm-hmm. there should be times that they should be able to pass it off and, and, and get it. Uh, it really just kind of depends on, on how the protection is set up. Uh, but you're right, and, and I think Jake made a good great point, is that teams will stunt against the Browns because they do a poor job of accounting for that. Um, you know, you look at just unblocked pressures this past weekend, they allowed eight of them. So, wow. you know, that that's that's on, you know, some of them, it's, it's because the defense schemed it up, sometimes it, some of it's on, uh, commu- you know, miscommunication of past enough stunts, or just not even a stunt. Just you know, uh, I think there's a pressure that Desmond Harrison gave up, where he uh, instead of sliding out to the left and, and taking on Dub- Bud Dupree, it was a play that he pancaked him after Bud Dupree got pressure. That was that was Desmond Harrison's guy in the first place. He should have blocked him, but obviously, you know, you you, you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter say that it was it worked out for them. Well, they. Like, yeah, because Tyrod was able to spin out of that and get a twenty yard gain with his legs. But ideally, you want to see Desmond Harrison pick up that yeah that unblocked guy before he's getting pressure on Tyrod. So it's, I you know, it is a, a communication thing. It's something that does concern me moving forward for them because especially when you have an offensive line, but you know, even last year with when Joe Thomas was left tackle and you had the three guys inside who were you know like you know really really legit. All pro type players, obviously Trener's not there, but he's, he's a solid player. But in the guards' positions, still giving up stunt pressures like that, it's, it is concerning.
0: Mm. Okay, let's hit the defensive side of the ball quickly. Um, this is obviously going to be an issue against Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and that New Orleans passing game in the Dome. Not just Denzel Ward, also Terrence Mitchell. How did the corners grade out? Um, again, weather was a factor. Uh, Antonio Brown made some big plays at certain times. Ward had the two picks. I thought the first pick was that—that's—that's that's, you know number four pick in the draft kind of stuff. It's come off your receiver, and make an instinctual play, and go get the ball. The second one, you know, balls get tipped, and you when you have a chance, you got to take advantage of it. But how did both corners play as we look ahead to New Orleans on Sunday? And then I guess you can throw in there, um, Brian. Brian body Calhoun uh, also got smoked, right? Yeah, so obviously Denzel Ward, I don't know if, any,
1: if anybody's looked at our stuff on Twitter or just gone to our website in the past couple days knows that Denzel Ward was the best rookie of the weekend. We have him as our number one, and our rank, rookie rankings, we have him number one. And number two is actually Gennard Avery, so you what? know that's a very good sign moving forward. Ward, obviously with the two picks, the one, like you said, the first one where he, he was reading... The eyes came off of his man to make that interception. That's exactly what the Browns need in that defense is to be able to make plays like that, especially on a, on a when when is scrambling and he's he's looking to to make a play like that. You need a, a guy in the back end to make a play. Um, that second one, he just made the best of his opportunity. Even the touchdown he gave it to D'Antonio Brown, he was in a mm-hmm. almost perfect position, but yep. a perfect throw and a perfect catch is always going to beat the 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 perfect defense um on the other side of the ball you know the uh, uh, other side of the field Terrence Bissell did struggle you know he is he gave up four first downs um you know five catches for just 40, 49 yards but you know obviously four of the five catches were for first down so that's not great um and uh but Brian Cowan did struggle uh in in, the, in a slot and yeah. he gave up 139 yards on five catches Ooh. five first downs so that's you know, somebody that last year almost set a record for allowing the fewest yards per cover snap. Um, he he really struggled, and I think I think it was more. Um, you know, See, Juju smith sutzer was a guy that that torched him. One of the you know one of the the big plays was that right that slant right
0: after the uh, the t- Browns touchdown that they just responded. with. that was killer. You know, it was part of it was a. They were running
1: a, a a blitz there, so he had no inside help. And when you get no inside help like that, and you 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 know just read it wrong right off the bat, you got a wide open lane for that. So
0: and he did read it wrong. I remember watching that play from through my binoculars in the press box. He took like a half of an outside step, and then if he has no help inside, he can't do that, right? Because he he right. made like one little move, and it was over.
1: And, that, and I believe I believe that they were doing it was a play action of some sort. Maybe it was an RPO. I I'm, I have to look back, go
0: back and look at that. But so that that was that. You brought the linebackers up. For one, they were already they're already blitzing in the first place. It brought them up so
1: that it opened up that middle of the field. So yeah. It's perhaps that he you know that he did think that the, the linebacker would be there to help him. But The thing is that is his man. He can't he can't let that that happen, especially guessing on on uh, uh, a situation like that. All right, but he struggled. It was it yeah. Was, it's, you know one of his worst games he's had for sure, um,
0: and especially for a guy that doesn't really usually give up a lot in in coverage. All right, so BBC and TT terrible, awful games. Maybe the worst they ever played. Hopefully they can get over the hill on that last one. Uh, Miles Garrett, just like an A. Like you just would you just put like an A on the sheet, you know? Because I the thing is, and I'm, I'm actually interested in Miles Garrett how he did play to play. I just think the play where he forced the fumble on James Conner, and I wrote about this a lot after the game, was such an innocuous play. It's just a handoff for a team leading by two touchdowns with seven and a half minutes left in the rain. They're not trying to do anything, they're just handing off and running away from Miles Garrett. It's so normal. And Miles Garrett just dips under Villanueva and, like, in three steps is consuming James Conner and that you know pass rush is great and that's so important and we got to block this guy and to do that on just to me was just an everyday run play was just extraordinary to me because that that game was dead they're dead people left people were leaving and then miles garrett with a play like that gave up op- the opportunity for everything else to happen after that so what was Miles Garrett like play to play? And then I don't know how you grade. How did you grade that play when he forced the fumble on Connor?
1: Well, that gets it's a big, big positive. thats I mean, forcing a fumble like that, you're act- actively going for a strip. You're not just in the act of uh, a normal tackle and the ball happens to pop out. He actively tried to strip that ball and yep. got it. That gets a huge, huge positive in our system. Um, and obviously led to have him having the best run defense grade of, of the defense, and uh, even as a you know as a pass rusher, which is you know what you drafted him for. But you're essentially drafted to make plays. That's the type of play that he has to make. You know, the, the team is down. He's got to get the you know got to get the team back into it to get the offense back on the field so they can score a touchdown. He did that. That's what you drafted him for. Same with Denzel Ward in, in, at number four overall. You drafted him to make those plays, take an opportunity of, of passes that go wayward. He did that. That's what you want to see from these top guys something that obviously the Browns haven't seen from their their first overall you know first round picks and since essentially I Joe guess Alex Mack and, and yeah. you know consider that being a guy that made a lot of plays as, as a blocker but you know that's that's still not you know a skilled position where you're 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 creating these turnovers so um Myles Garrett as a pass rusher it wasn't as as great as um you know he had he did have the two sacks but it, did, it wasn't as great he didn't I think Villanueva had a decent amount of help, to, you know, chips from from the running back. He had help from the, his left guard, mm-hmm. so he was kind of held in check for the most part outside of the two sacks um, as as a pass rusher. But um, when he was he was given the opportunity to make the plays, like this, the you know the sack on, on Ben Roethlisberger forcing a. Uh, a fumble there, and also Christian a to fumble on James Conner. He made the plays when they were there, and that's what you want. So he obviously graded out extremely well. Um, you know, outside of the, the getting offsides, uh, we didn't downgrade him for the uh, the roughing the passer that he had, which mm-hmm. was obviously led to a touchdown the next play. Um, even the NFL came back and said that the, that shouldn't have been a you know penalty, but that's after the fact and. Doesn't help anybody's cause. But um, yeah, he's a guy that that did what you expect as a first overall pick to do and coming into his second year. He should
0: hopefully only get better. This weekend's going to be a tough match for him for sure, though. All right, so John, here's the deal. Like, we'll just do this every week. I just come on, I just say, So, like, John, what's going on? And then you just provide incredible, insightful analysis breaking it down, and then, uh, you know, you do my job for me, right? Is that going to work for everybody? (laughs) Sounds good. Um, good. Maybe we can't do it every week, but, John, if you would be so kind, we will definitely have you back sometime on Takes by the Lake. I thought this was really important to do, especially for the first game. You know, you just need to – Browns fans have some people to figure out. Even Miles Garrett, they're still figuring out. Tyrod Taylor, Josh Gordon, Denzel Ward. There's a lot of pieces here that Browns fans need to know about. I think it's a good point. To know, like, hey, this was a bad game by Tyrod Taylor, but it maybe is the worst game he ever played. This is he does. This is not what he normally does. So let's watch and see what happens on Sunday. But John, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. That was incredible stuff, and uh, and hopefully we can have you back on sometime.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. You know, it is one game, and so it is the overreaction week two, and yeah. that's something that I think people need to understand. Going to this next game is that they're not the defense isn't going to create another six turnovers, and the offense's tie rod is, I would assume, is not going to play as bad as he did. So you're going to see something more in between the two, and to just kind of give it a couple weeks to kind of let this new team, it's essentially a new team, settle into the how how it is going to be for the rest of the season. You know, you got the coaches; there. they're trying to figure it out too. So overreaction week two, but. It's good to to kind of take a look at to see what what can emerge and what you'd expect to emerge. And, yeah, I'd I'd be happy to come back on uh, whenever you'd have me.
0: Excellent, John. Great stuff. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks to John. You can follow him on Twitter at John, J-O-H-N, Costco, K-O-S-K-O-3. That's (laughs) J-O-H-N-K-O-K. I can't read. J-O-H-N-K-O-S-K-O numeral three. Follow him on Twitter. All right, now Dan Whalen's up. Dan, the uh, former quarterback from Willoughby South, from Case Western, was an All-American there uh, with the Cleveland Gladiators a little bit. Guy's a quarterback. Guy's a quarterback, so when he talks quarterbacks, you can listen. So let's jump in right with Dan Whalen talking about Baker Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor, and the Browns' quarterback deal. All right, we're back with Dan Whalen here on Takes by the Lake. He's been here before. He's back again. I like him as a quarterback expert. He's played the position. He understands the position. And, Dan, I'm throwing you right in. Let's make you head coach of the Browns, right? Maybe right. maybe All you'll right. maybe you'll apply for this job at some point down the line. How, <laughs> how would you be handling these quarterbacks? When you have a veteran who's been a three-year starter, you have the number one pick in the draft, who would you be playing right now?
1: I think
2: last time we spoke, I... I Told you Tyrod was the guy, even though I wanted Baker, uh, through the draft, and I'm sticking with it. I mean, there's there's no reason to change. I think people have a tendency just to, you know, when things aren't going right, let's switch. When things are going great, a la Sam Darnold, well, they're ready to put a, a gold jacket on him already. So, you know, I, I think we need to stick with the guy that uh, we named the starter. I think uh, he's more likely to um, revert to his mean, and his mean is, is a lot better than he played last Sunday. And so... You know, the offensive line has to do some work, but Tyrod's got to do a better job of getting the ball out of his hands, too. And I think, uh, all things considered, he's the guy you got to roll with for now. And, and there's a slew of reasons why, but um, that's the way I'd lean.
0: John Costco, who was on the show earlier with us, said that, that by the numbers, that might have been Tyrod's worst game ever. We So so people like me were sitting in the press box, and it's like, oh, it's raining. And the fans who were there like, man, I'm getting wet. You've played the position – Obviously, there's some effect. Ben Roethlisberger threw for a lot more yards, but they also had six turnovers, the Steelers did. What's it like? What's it like out there when you're trying to be a quarterback and not turn it over but still make plays and it's wet? What kind of effect did it have on those guys?
2: Well, I always used to, to rather play in snow or um anything but the rain and truthfully i don't know how windy it was but i'd read the report there was you know gusts of 20 to 30 miles an hour that's not easy either um you know wet being throwing the wet ball into the wind is is very very difficult and so i'm not giving him a free pass for sure because ralphsberger had to do the same thing and still managed to put up you know close to 400 yards uh but look Tyrod has never been the guy that's going to go get you 350 through the air. He's the guy that'll get you 2 250. He'll take care of the football. I think he's got a career passer rating uh, around 90, which is is pretty darn good. Um, and all that considered, I don't think you had the weapons in Buffalo uh, that he has here. And so, look, one week does not a season make. And you know, we if you look at the last few times we played the Steelers, we were in every game. So I think that the Browns are. As a whole, making moves that are making them more competitive on a week-to-week basis, especially against the,
1: the old bitter rival there. But you got to really give the guy a chance. I mean, you paid
2: him. You brought him in to be the starter, to teach Baker Mayfield, um, to, to lead the huddle, which I think he's done a great job of. I mean, he's, he got voted a captain, I believe. So the team respects him. Um, I think he brings a veteran presence that will bring you through some of those tough games. I know that he... Uh, through a, an interception late in the game that kind of arguably could cost us the game, I think, based mm-hmm. on where we were and, and the situation. So Bat is, is really unlike him. Uh, and I see him being tentative a, a lot with the football and, you know, padding it one extra time before he lets it, lets it loose. And, um, you know, all that said, I, I still think he's getting his feet wet uh, with this offense and getting comfortable with the guys that are running routes. And, you know, quite frankly, Josh Gordon is one of the fastest guys in the NFL. So, that underthrow doesn't surprise me considering they didn't get a whole lot of reps in training camp together.
0: How, how much is that how much better do you think that will make them? Todd Haley made a big point on that on Thursday. Thursday. Just the idea, you know, they they, they didn't have especially Gordon didn't have reps with these guys. I mean, you know, Tyrod Taylor's coming in new. Everybody's new to him. Um, they're starting a rookie at left tackle. Jarvis Landry is new, Antonio Callaway is new. But, and Josh Gordon's been around, but he wasn't in camp. Like the, Josh Gordon doesn't doesn't know Tyrod Taylor at all. As a quarterback, just even understanding that, how fast your guy is, how much you need to lead him on a throw, how much better do you think they will get when they have another one, two, three, four, six, eight games together out there?
2: I mean, I, I would hope that they're exponentially better. And the truth is, I mean, Josh Gordon just showed you on the touchdown catch that if you give him a shot, he'll go get it. Um, I, I think... When you have a guy like that who's a once-in-a-generation type of skill and you have another guy like Jarvis Landry who will catch everything and anything thrown in, in his you know, immediate vicinity, um, that's got to make you pretty comfortable. But reps are everything, and I, I say that whether it's you know on a player-by-player player basis trying to get to know your receivers or if it's trying to understand the defense better or if it's trying to understand the way that Todd Haley wants certain routes run. You can't get enough reps. I mean, it was one of the reasons, too, looking back last year, talking about another Northeast Ohio guy, Mitch Trubisky, that I was all for him staying in college for one more mm. year because he'd only played 13 games as a starter at North Carolina. And I just – you can't get you can't get enough reps. I mean, they're like um, – they're the currency that, that allow you to, to, to be the, the player that, that you hopefully can become. And um, some of these guys just don't get enough snaps – either with their own players or looking at the, the speed that they're playing against or in the situations or the uh, the formations that they're running. So uh, to me, you, you got to take every advantage of that. And um, I never liked, I mean, you saw it in hard knocks. I never liked when our guys back in the day would miss practice, you know, to rest or to do certain things. And I understand that, hey, it's a long season. And a lot of these guys are veterans and reps are really everything. And you got to get comfortable throwing to those guys. And, um, and the way they move, some guys will run a, a dig route differently than the next guy. Or some some people will cut their out route at 5.5 yards, the next guy will be at 6.5. And, and those things matter on timing and on you know split-second decisions that you got to be ready to cut it loose and put it
1: in the spot where you know they're going to be.
0: So Tyron Taylor is going to be a guy that's going to help determine how many games the Browns are going to win this year. He might help determine the future of Hugh Jackson. But Baker Mayfield yeah. is going to determine the future of this franchise. So here's my big-picture question, Dan. Yeah. What what would what could they do this season to screw Baker up? Do you think that and, and and you know so it does seem like Baker is he's more mature he's certainly older he played more talking about those reps he got a lot of college reps compared to some of these guys he oh, seems yeah. like he's ready mentally he seems like he processes it all that kind of stuff. Do, is there could, is if he's sitting right say he sits for basically the whole year is is there is there possibly a negative in that for him and say that Tyrod gets hurt or he's just terrible and they put Baker in by week 4 or week 5 is there a negative in that there for him that they could they screw him up by putting him in too fast or really in the end do you think Baker Mayfield is going to be the guy he's going to be in the NFL, sort of regardless of how much or how little he plays this year?
2: Well, I I can't think of a, a situation where a quarterback has been um, screwed up or or you know has, has had a detriment by by waiting. Um, I can name numerous situations where guys who weren't quite ready get thrown in and. Um, It it disrupts their confidence, or they start getting hit, and all of a sudden, um, they develop happy feet and and lack of a pocket presence, and it never kind of returns. And so, I I don't think he's that kind of guy, because that's one of the reasons I was an advocate for drafting him all along, was because I thought he was mentally strong enough to overcome those types of situations, and I feel like he's caught from a cloth where he's an ultimate competitor, and he, he knows how to think on his feet, and... Uh, I think the word we talked about last time was swag, and that's something you can't really fake, especially at the NFL level, because um, if you have it and then you don't go out and play well, well, your teammates don't buy in and then all of a sudden you're, you're nothing. So it's not something you can really fake, and I think he's got it, but at the same time, I don't think there's any reason not to play him, or I'm sorry, to play him at this point, um, other than people are getting antsy and want to win and think he's a better, puts us in a better position to win, which I I can't say I I know the answer to that question off the bat.
0: The The comparison that I think is out there, that you know, most guys don't sit anymore. Most guys don't sit. And I was fine. It's like, you know what? Put Deshaun Kaiser in last year. Let's see what you've got. You know, I felt like they had to figure out if they had something there or not. I think they know they have something there with Baker. That is one thing. It's not like they need to play Baker so they can decide if they need to draft a quarterback in 2019, like whether Baker plays or not this year, he's the guy next year. He's the guy going forward no matter what. So Car- Carson Palmer, since since the Browns came back, since Tim Couch, Carson Palmer's the only number one overall pick at quarterback who did not play at all. Most of those other guys were in there by week one and everybody else was in there at some point this season. But I do think Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City might be a comparison here. He got that one start at the end of last year He sat behind Alex Smith all season. Then they said he's ready. They got rid of Alex Smith, and Patrick Mahomes came out and looked ready in Game 1 of Year 2. You know, sometimes people talk Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that you want to sit him that long either. It's not like Tyrod Taylor's Brett Favre. But I think the Mahomes comparison could be one that makes sense here, that Baker gets a game or two at the end of the year, and then Week 1 in Year 2 he is ready to fire on all cylinders. Do you think that could be a comparison?
2: I definitely do. I mean, I, I think if you look at the Kansas City situation from last year to this year, it's it's kind of identical to ours, uh, aside from the fact that Kansas City, you know, was, was winning games uh, previously with Andy Reid and Alex Smith. But, you know, they clearly drafted Mahomes with the intent to make him the guy. They had a veteran quarterback who had made Pro Bowls, who had been, um, I don't know, I won't call if they went to a Super Bowl. I think he Alex Smith was in an AFC or an AFC Championship with the Niners, but you know he's by by my account one of the best quarterbacks at that, that secondary level below the you know five or six elite guys. I, I I was a big Alex Smith guy for a long time. So, but it's just, it's kind of apples to apples, like you're saying, is you you let a guy show you how this version of the offense is supposed to be run. Yep. Um, you now, granted. You have a new offensive coordinator, so it's it's a little different than
1: um, than it was last year. But you have the same head coach. You have the same philosophy. Hugh has made it more than clear that he's
2: calling the shots and that his uh, coordinators, albeit they may have more head coaching experience and success, uh, are going to sit behind him and, and uh, follow his rules. But truthfully, I think there's nothing that can go wrong by Baker sitting 10, 12, even all 16 games this season. Uh, now, granted, you you see you saw it last week. I mean, guys
0: get hurt. Yeah, I, I can't think of many quarterbacks these days who are starting and playing every snap
1: of all sixteen games. Um, everybody gets banged up, and there's
2: a week here, a week there where hey, he's going to get some snaps. He may not start a game, but he'll he'll come in in the second quarter when Tyrod gets a a leg bruise or something, and he'll have to you know kind of show us what he's got on the fly. That's a little different than preparing a whole week, knowing you're the guy, knowing you're going to come out and lead the team, but. You know, all along I've said that nothing can help you more than than watching, taking mental reps, getting out on the practice field, um, putting in the time, you know, extra hours and understanding the game. Because truthfully, you can't really master what the defense is doing until you master what your offense is doing. And I just don't think that there's a rookie four weeks through training camp or six weeks through training camp that has mastered the offense enough to where it's an afterthought. And for you to come in at the NFL level and perform consistently, which is the name of the game, everybody can have a good game here and there. You see it a lot. You see guys, you know, that'll, that'll throw, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, great example sure. last week. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is what he is, but last week, um, you know, he, he he had an all-world type of game, and that can happen, but can he do that six weeks in a row? I doubt it, and that, I think that's the difference is, is that, Baker has the chance to be that kind of guy who's consistent, like a Drew Brees is every single week, and um, I think it comes with time and with reps and with understanding and mastering the playbook and the offense. And hopefully, uh, through through time,
1: he gets to
0: do that before he has to be thrown into the fire. I'll tell you, Dan, the the, the wild card for me in this—maybe it's not the wild card, maybe it's the main thing. Hugh Jackson is a guy who both of the last two seasons benched a rookie quarterback that we, we saw him with Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser. Um, get frustrated and pull the pin on these guys. And I think the absolute worst-case scenario for the Browns, and I, I just can't imagine that it would happen, but, man, I, you know, I think sometimes that Hughes capable of anything, is the idea that they would go to Baker, like in Week 4 or Week 5, and that Baker has, like, a bad game or a bad half, and they go back to Tyron Taylor. Because I do think if you're making a, a, a choice to go to Baker Mayfield sometime during this year... When you go to Baker Mayfield, you go to him for the next four years at least, right? Like, hopefully you're going to him for the next ten years, but I do think the one thing that I would be at least slightly nervous about is somehow Hugh, you know, yanking Baker and messing with his head the way I think he messed with Cody Kessler's head and Deshaun Kaiser's head. Would Would that not be a bad scenario? Or do you think it would be reasonable? You know what? You try Baker... He struggles. You go back to Tyrod. Would that be fine, or would that be bad? Some possible situation like that.
2: I think it's a it's a hairy situation when you get into that, but it's it's not. Everyone is different. Now I'll say this: I like in a pulling a quarterback in the middle of the game because he's not performing more to like going to the bullpen as opposed to you know telling that guy he's done like for good. Yep. Um, you know some some days out there in the field, you just don't have it.
1: And and that's the case for Corey Kluber, and that's the case for anybody all the way up to
2: Tom Brady, uh, you know, if you liken the sports to one another. And sometimes you just got to go to somebody else to to, to switch things up, and, and a lot of times it's after the game is already lost and you're down three scores and you haven't put any points on the board. And so it's like, all right, just get the guy out and, and let, him, let him chill and, and give your – you're your younger guy or or your backup a chance to play a little bit, but then you reassess the situation. You say, was this, can we encapsulate this as a, just a bad day that he was not on? Or is this something that that's more of a trend? And, you know, I, I don't know the answer to to what it does to a quarterback room. I know that when every quarterback room I've ever been in, yeah, there's a camaraderie there and there's a level of support, but everybody's competing because nobody likes sitting on the bench. Um, you know, granted, I don't think Drew Stanton is itching to get in the game, but, but, you know, Tyrod, Baker, um, the like, those guys, yeah, they're, they're competitors. They want to play. They came here to try to, to try to play. Tyrod is still out there proving that he can be maybe not a franchise quarterback for seven, eight more years, but that he has three to four, um, good
1: years left and, uh, and he he can help a team win. And Baker's
2: out here just trying to, to claw and and scrape his way in and and become the man. So, they're both definitely interested in, in getting their playing time um i don't think that it would be the end of the world if you flip-flopped one or two weeks to figure out what you had but uh generally speaking um yeah you don't want to do that you want to find a guy and you want to know he's a guy and you want him to know he's the guy and you want everyone else behind him to know that he's the guy so that you can just move forward and focus on winning and getting him prepared but uh, a lot of times in the Cleveland Brown situation, and it's rough that we've had to do it for so long, it doesn't always pan out that way.
0: All right, Dan, I'm going to bring you back to this Sunday for one last question. You talked about Tyrod, you know, maybe patting the ball, hesitating a little bit on Sunday. Again, Todd Haley on Thursday was talking about how many mental errors they had uh, on the offensive side of the ball? You know, Tyrod took a lot of sacks. He has that reputation sometimes of holding the ball. But Todd Haley was saying, you know, sometimes you're expecting a guy to 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 have make a block and and give you time, and then it doesn't happen, and and you get sacked, like because you're counting on someone who doesn't do their job. What do you want to see in a dome in New Orleans with week two of Josh Gordon, with another week of practice with those guys, with Desmond Harrison? having his second start, knowing what an NFL game is like. What do you want to see from Tyrod Taylor that would let Browns fans know, you know what, okay, that was a rainy day, it was week one, that was just a bad day, but now we can have faith in Tyrod Taylor. What should they look for? Yeah, um, well, first and foremost, I mean,
2: the competition you're playing is, is likely to put up 30 points with their eyes closed. They just do it every week. Even in the loss last week, the Bucks had to score 48 um you know to win the game so you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time who's going to put points on the board regardless of how good our pass rush has been and i don't think drew Brees is going to turn it over six times like the steelers did so um first and foremost you have to, to go put points on the board and that is kind of any any way you can really and we have a dynamic running back duo a little bit of thunder and lightning I guess if you want to call him that and, and Duke Johnson can catch a ball in the backfield and Todd Haley knows how to get the ball so the running backs out of the backfield so I, I'd like to see a little bit of that I'd like to see some creativity in the play calling that allows Tyrod to uh, kind of gain a little bit of confidence and get rid of the ball quickly I was always a fan coming out of the box um, not necessarily scripting plays the way most coaches do but Almost coming out in the first quarter and running like a two-minute style offense to where you develop a rhythm and, and you uh, go with a lot of quick games so that the ball is getting out of your hand in, in one or two seconds as opposed to three, four, five seconds. And, and it really allows you to build some confidence, set the tone, and move the chains once or twice so you're not starting the game with a three and out, and uh, and really kind of establish yourselves, um, especially on the road. So, you know, I'd like to see some of that, and that, that comes from the coaches as much as it does the quarterback. He is an accurate thrower, although last week didn't really exhibit uh, that. And I think he has to understand the weapons he's gotten. A whole other week of practice. I would I would imagine they practice all indoors this week, because there's no reason not to, uh, playing in the Dome this coming Sunday. But, you know, working with those guys and getting them more balls and, and having them run more routes just helps him all the better. And, and I think that... Uh, you know, hopefully that, that shows on Sunday, but they're gonna they're gonna have to score because Miles Garrett's not gonna get to the quarterback every single time.
0: Dan, we appreciate your insight, man. Thanks for coming back here on Takes by the Lake. And uh if you'll indulge us, we'll give you a ring some other time this season and bring you back again. Hey, hey Doug, thanks, man. You bet. All right, thanks Dan. Follow him on Twitter. D W H A-L-E-N-5. Dan Whalen, appreciate his help. John Costco, appreciate him. Appreciate you guys listening. I just checked, no new reviews, no new reviews. Last week uh, on our on our uh, Buckeye Talk podcast, we had fallen from a five star composite rating on iTunes to a four point five rating because people were some people were mad at us about how we talked about the Urban Meyer situation. So we begged for reviews, and we got thirty one reviews in a week, twenty nine five stars and two one stars. So uh, haven't had a review for Takes by the Lake in a while. Um, clearly, people like Bill Landis, my partner, on Buckeye Talk. And when it's just me, y- you don't care for it. But for John Costco and Dan Whalen, review them. So if you have time, go to our iTunes thing. I don't know what you do. you got to type words. Put some stars. Uh, tell us what you think. We appreciate it. Um, we'll keep doing this. Um, we'll, we'll we'll lean again Indians in a couple weeks before the playoffs or as the playoffs get started but the Browns remain as always endlessly fascinating so thanks again I'm Doug Maurice. that was Takes by the Lake and we'll talk to you next time